Hello, I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jenna Poff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theater Company. And this is Theater Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 76 of Theater Forward. And I have to pay homage to my beautiful grandfather who would have always said, 76, that's the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) It is a family tradition, I cannot deny. Um, In any event, in this episode, we are going to talk about new work in the theater, why it's important to us and how we can best support it. And I think really what prompted this discussion in many ways is the, uh, dare I say, seismic news that the Humana Festival has been canceled. Um, and that is a really, um, that that's a big deal in our field. And, you know, Mike, I kind of want to toss it over to you as someone who I know has attended the Humana Festival of New Plays on many, many occasions um, to talk about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm just... I'm not surprised given that it's been, you know, all of us have been talking, you know, where's their announcement? Where's their announcement of what the new season will be like? But I am still devastated. Um, so many great plays had had their birth there. And what Humana stood for and what we're just seeing fewer and fewer spaces for in American theater uh, is the spirit of 76, is that spirit of celebrating something that's new and taking dare I say, revolutionary chances on work involving unknown plays and unknown playwrights and giving them this huge platform um, on which to work. And so to, I I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's they're, they're not saying it's been canceled forever, but as Lauren Halverson said in her um, awesome um, weekly Nothing for the Group uh, newsletter last week, it sure doesn't look good for, for Humana coming back anytime soon. This yeah. is the economics of new play development. Is it a corporate sponsor who decided to put their money someplace else? Um, nobody knows. I mean, uh-huh. I think that uh, sponsoring uh, theater in, in, in Louisville is um, not in the greatest of financial shapes right now. I mean, there's speculation about Humana, but I don't have any details on that. I think it's just, you know, we're coming out of a freaking pandemic um, and for everybody to get the wheels starting to turn again is really hard. I mean, it's not just here. I mean, this same week also brought us news that 50% of playwrights in Britain in a new survey have said they will be out of the field um, within the next two years. Um, and that something like uh, new commissions declined by over a third uh, between the start of the pandemic and this year. I mean, the money's just not there to invest in something that's that's new and and done. I mean, that that was my leading question. Uh, We are absolutely in favor of the development of new plays, but it is expensive and it and it offers um, opportunities and challenges. Um, I know at Forward, we've commissioned a play that is expensive, Um, would continue to do it, hope to continue to do it, will continue to do it. But there is that economic um, variable that uh, theaters need to be conscious of. Yeah, and on, you know, so to, to both of your points, you know, Mike, you were talking about um, the challenges of uh, commissions going down so so rapidly, and, and certainly a big part of that is how expensive it is, and that companies are 
there is not a company in the country that isn't financially hurting because of the pandemic. Obviously, government support, generous philanthropy, all of those things have helped tremendously to mitigate that pain. But audience numbers are down. They're, they right. they are down. And so that rebuilding is going to be a multi-year process and an expensive one to stay afloat through. But the other thing is it's not just about how expensive it is to commission a play. And it's not just that commissioning fee, but all the other developmental costs, doing workshops and extra weeks of rehearsal and all of that. But there's also now a backlog, you know, right. for companies that, that routinely do new work or routinely commission work. If, if they had a season or two where they weren't putting things on stage or they weren't, um, you know, didn't want to debut something during the height of the pandemic when they wouldn't get much of an audience, um, there's now this backlog and there's a lot of promises out there to to writers and to other artists to do these projects that might have happened originally in the 2021 or 21, 22 seasons. And so it's. Um, you know, I've talked to many playwrights who uh, feel like plays they've written that might have gotten a lot of interest, uh, things are kind of lagging behind because of that backlog. So that's you know, an and, aspect too. And, and and the pandemic has also, to again, both to your point, Julie, to something you were saying about audiences, it's exacerbated trends that, you know, we've been seeing for a long time. I'm still haunted by a book, which I think we've mentioned very briefly in a podcast where we talked about the allure of television. Uh, it's an older book now, came out in 2009. It's still, to me, one of the best books on this topic in the American theater. And it's Outrageous Fortune, The Life and Times of the New American Play by Todd London and Ben, ben Pesner that was put out by the Theater Communications Group in 2009. Um, and they were talking about how even then, you know, this is after in the immediate aftermath of another uh, upheaval, which was the 2008 financial meltdown um, that artistic directors and they surveyed just a, a ton of artistic directors, uh, as well as um, board members and playwrights from around the country. And what they got back is that theaters were growing more conservative, that it's easier to put on stage, obviously, a play that um, has already had a, a approvable history and that you don't have to market um, in the same way. There's the problem that we're still conf uh, being conflicted with or, or afflicted with of smaller casts. Um, because bigger casts and bigger cast plays are are hard to do. Um, and even then in 2009, and this is when TV was just starting to uh, exert its pull uh, in the ways that it has become so prevalent in the last, last 15 years, you had more than half of playwrights were earning well under half of their income um, from playwriting. I mean, you can't, you, you can't sit down in that context um, and, and even write a play, let alone the great American play. And they quoted, and this is also something, and this is a, a chance to give a shout out to a legend in, uh, in theater who died last November, Elizabeth McCann, one of the great uh, New York uh, producers. And she said, you have to give deep pause as to whether or not there will be another great American play. Well, she missed it on Hamilton, but 
I digress. Uh, there'll be good plays, but will there be another great one? Because all the circumstances work against the playwright. And her specific example was Tony Kushner. She said, is anybody now going to be able to write scenes where you got angels crashing through ceilings and this huge cast and all these multiple locations and a six hour long epic? I mean, is that even feasible for a playwright as they're sitting down at her or his or their typewriter to have in the head um, or are they already going to be self-censoring before they even start to write because of the economic conditions they're up against? I am hopeful that we will see another one. Um, I think that the difference, yes, there we've talked talked about the economics. The companies that are able to do world premieres have an audience that um, is receptive to that and an audience that rides with the company. Um, I think the patrons and the audience of Forward Theater um, are up for that ride. And that so as long as we've got that that stable subscriber base, we are able then to take these chances and do a show no one has heard of. There's no movie made of it. it. It hasn't had a run someplace else. And if you've got that audience, you can make that leap. I believe we're in a privileged position right now. I don't think that many companies can say that. It's 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 funny uh, listening to what you were both just saying has me very much in my head about everything that we're working on here right now, because as we record this, it was literally three days ago that we closed um, a world premiere uh, mm-hmm. of uh, a new play um, by Quan Berry. Uh, the Metalinian debate. So not only unheard of, but a, but a hard to pronounce title and, and, and all of that. Um, And the, and yes, the audience responded incredibly positively to that. It was, it was exceeded my expectations actually, but, um, but yeah, it was hard and it's expensive and um, it's a lot more work and uh, you know, and, and having just closed that in, you know, 12 days, we're in rehearsal for our next show, which um, is, is, well, sort of yes and sort of no, uh, a world premiere. Um, we're going to be doing Russian Troll Farm by Sarah Gancher, which, uh, had its world premiere as a piece of digital theater in the fall of 2020, but has not been done on a stage. Um, and so we, we, we're excited to be working closely with the playwright, um, to, uh, translate something that's been figured out for, filming in people's houses to something that, that works on a stage. Um, but it made me, I was thinking of that, Mike, when you were talking about who's going to, you know, support a Tony Kushner, this isn't six hours long with an angel crashing through the ceiling, but it's a big play with it's a ton wild. of technical <laughs> things that you read it and you go, Holy cow, this is a very expensive show and a Three very complicated show. Three <laughs> projectors and bear costumes and, you know, um, throwing cakes and, um, karaoke and, and, you know, uh, and an and unfortunately overly timely, uh, subject matter. Um, but it's super exciting. And I think, um, uh, I think it's going to be a great challenge and fun for the artists working on it and also for our audiences to see something so new, but that, that connects me sort of to a, a next thing that I think is really worth talking about in this topic area. And that is, um, what happens to play after it premieres? Mm-hmm. Cause we've done yeah. now several 
we've done a few world premieres at Forward. We've, all, we've also done a ton of plays that were the second or the third or the fourth production anywhere. And getting from I've had one show, one production to I've had half a dozen is sometimes an incredibly difficult path for a play because you've got to get a bunch of productions under your belt before it becomes something that a licensing house really wants to deal with and something that companies around the country will start to become aware of and interested in. Um, And, you know, if you don't have an audience that's automatically predisposed to be excited about things they've never heard of, um, you know, how do we as a field support playwrights who's, you know, so like, like, Amy Kwan Berry. So we just closed this production of this really, um, really, I think, quite brilliant play. How 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 do we help her get that done elsewhere? How does it well, get a second and a third and a fourth production? We need other theaters to do and and Daniel Puff Gray. Anybody that can do forty four and forty six plays for respectively American presidents and American first ladies, and figure out how to do the third act of Ann Washburn's uh, Mr. Burns, uh, is I'm not worried about us being able to produce great, great stuff like that. But we need other theaters like our theater that have a long and distinguished track record, which is one of the reasons I've been celebrating forward when I was a critic since almost its inception for taking plays that started elsewhere and giving them that second life. Premier-itis is a real problem. Um, right. And it's a problem in two ways. I mean, you have the, the you know, with, a, with a title that is unknown, like the Mytilenean debate, it's, if you can attach world premiere to it, it makes it at least a little bit easier um, to get people excited about coming to see it. But what do you do with a play like that, that is brilliant, that deserves an afterlife? Um, in terms of another theater picking it up where it doesn't have that sort of sexy world premiere attached to it. Um, and and you know, co-pros, I think, is one thing you're seeing, which is you know co-world premieres or rolling world premieres is mm-hmm. one way in which we can see that um, happening. And it's really exciting and really important because otherwise you do end up with a situation. Russian troll farms, a great example. I mean, come on, this finished as a virtual play, not even on stage and Jesse Green's top 10 list for New York times plays of the year. Where is it in terms of a second or sort of first production in terms of a stage production? Well, we're doing it and it's being done by two theaters in Eastern Europe. Now it's been, you know, there's, there's nibbles, about it being done commercially, but that hasn't been solidified yet. And so we're in a situation where this really, really exciting, wonderful play, which deserves to be produced again and again and again, and not just because of what's now happening in Eastern Europe, is, is having to like shout for to be heard. Um, Middle Indian debate, having to shout to be heard. Um, so co-pros, I think maybe are, are one answer. There's one right now that's very promising if folks wanna go see it, in terms of a co-production, um, Eleanor Burgess, who is a playwright that Forward knows and loves and, and gave a production of The Niceties to, has a play that just opened at Writers Theatre in Glencoe um, called The Wife of a Salesman about the relationship between Linda Lohman and the other unnamed woman in Miller's play that is having an affair with Willie Lohman. That went to development and went to uh, the stage as a co-production between the Milwaukee Rep and Writers Theatre. Uh, all the literature that Writers is putting out lists, uh, lists the Milwaukee Rep as one of the sponsoring theaters. It will presumably at some point, perhaps after it has been developed further, um, end up as a play at Milwaukee Rep. But, but that commitment up front 
from those two theaters to make that happen is a big, big deal in helping ensure that something like that continues to live. Yeah, I love I love the this evolution of the rolling world premiere for our field. I think that that um, it serves companies, it serves playwrights, you know, that that there's this. We all know that your first fully staged production is as much a learning opportunity as anything else for that playwright um, to, to have a full run in front of audiences that you can can learn from. So to know that there's two or three productions already scheduled so you can do the first one and learn from it and do some adaptations and do the second one and learn from it and do some adaptations and so on um, is uh, it serves the play really well. It serves the playwright really well. And I think serves the companies well, because they um, there's, there's both uh, sort of marketing benefits to everyone saying, being able to say that, you know, premieritis, like you said, Mike, that everyone can say they're part of the premiere, but also there's uh, there can be shared costs in terms of commissioning fees and, um, and other, you know, developmental workshops and, and all of that. So um that is one really hopeful uh, thing. Um, but sort of, so going back, so thinking about the fact that, that Humana, at least, at least for now and potentially forever is, is not happening. Um, uh, what are some of the other uh, vehicles in our field for new playwrights? And I, and I, I sort of talk about that because, you know, we, we do some, some, um, festival development opportunities here at Forward, um, small scale. And I certainly um, am eager to learn from and build off of um, what other companies around the country are doing. I mean, we have um, what we call our Wisconsin Rights New Play Festival. We do it every other year. We have open submissions from Wisconsin-based playwrights. Um, you know, it's that we don't charge a submission fee Every writer gets written feedback from at least three professional readers, um, which we feel really good about because all the plays that we don't select still get some developmental um, input. Um, but we wind up picking, you know, two or three plays that get a full week's workshop with a professional director and dramaturg and actors and a public reading. And um, we've been doing that, you know, for years and years now. It, I really love it. We're trying to expand the resources that we put into it. It's how we learned about the Medellinian debate. That was a cold, a cold submission. Um, and we got to know the playwright and got to know the play in our 2020 Wisconsin Rights Festival, which was online, as it turned out. Um, and that's how we identified this really exciting play by a really exciting writer. And, you know, we were thrilled to move that to full production in, in this season. Um, but there needs to be a lot of those to serve writers out there. Um, and how do we make, how do we play a role in making sure that, that this kind of opportunity exists when we know how, um, how tight finances are, how understaffed theaters are, how much smaller audiences are right now? Um, it's a really scary time for producing companies. Um, and, and asking everybody to put a lot of resources into developing new work when many companies are hanging on by their fingernails, uh, it's a big ask. I mean, you know, one, one possible way forward, and, and Jen or Julie, you're better positioned to talk about the specifics of this than I am, but is when you see a theater like 
forwards, which is grounded in and committed um, very steadfastly to a particular region, works closely with other theaters in its same region and, and taps the synergies that go with that to sort of try and mount something like Wisconsin Rights, but maybe a little bit bigger even than Wisconsin Rights, that we can call a festival of our own, dare I say a Humana of the North, but, um, but something that allows different theaters to feed off of each other um, by generating the buzz that goes with a bigger kind of festival. Well, you know, I'm I'm smiling, Mike, because we didn't actually plan this, but you you did tee me up yeah, perfectly. Exactly, that is to, on, a, on a platter, Jen. Yeah, to, uh, and it's so exciting. <laughs> well, to just about, and we will we will talk much more about this on a future episode. Um, you know, sometime next year, but we are really excited to have publicly announced um, at the end of January. Uh, the inaugural world premiere Wisconsin festival that that forward in conjunction with theaters all over our state will be um, mounting next spring. So it's it runs from March 1st to June 30th of 2023. Um, and the idea behind it is getting theater makers across the state to mount world premiere scripts during that window of time. Um, some of those will be full productions as part of regular seasons. 11 of Wisconsin's 13 fully professional companies have signed on to do full world premiere main stage productions during that time frame. Um, we commissioned a play that we'll talk about more in, in the future um, that'll be announced, I guess, next month uh, for that. There are some incredibly exciting major, major productions being done as part of that. But also, um, we've got uh, semi-professional companies, youth theater companies, high school and college theater companies, community theaters, all signing on. Um, we've already got more than 15 other companies that have signed on to join the festival. We anticipate many more signing on over the next couple of months. Some of them are doing full productions. Some are doing staged readings, workshops, what have you. Um, but, you know, we conceived the festival um, in part to celebrate the the diversity of generative work that happens here. Um, we did it partly to provide opportunities for all of us as colleagues to come together on a common project and build relationships. But we we also did it in large part to both celebrate new work and to maybe make um, the, the process of taking on developing a new work a little less scary, a little less risky by making it part of this big festival. And so um, this has been a project already three and a half years uh, in the making, and um, it's it's exciting to have it be publicly uh, announced now and um, less than a year away. Uh, so I'm hoping that that will inspire a lot more, um, both within our state and maybe outside of it in years to come. We'll see. I mean, what's inspiring to me is not just the idea of the festival in and of itself for, in Jen for all the ways you've just articulated, but what you ended there with, which is I would love to see this as an opportunity uh, going back to what you were saying about co-pros and shared production costs. You know, you have places like the Milwaukee Rep, Mark Clemens, Chad Bauman, I hope you're listening, which have a much, much bigger budget than any other theater in Wisconsin. And the idea of them sharing in a co-pro kind of way um, uh, both financial and aesthetic 
uh, responsibility for developing a new work where a company like Northern Sky, if it were a work that we're going to end up on the Stackner stage, and Northern Sky has its own longstanding commitment to new work, which mm -hmm. has been an amazing thing for decades, or a company like Forward, which again would offer an opportunity for something before it moves to Milwaukee to maybe get a sort of, not, not a tryout, I mean, a real production, but something where you could sort of see, Jen, to your point, what works and what doesn't before it moves on. And then you can build that kind of momentum um, which is really harder to come by now. It used to be that critics played a large role in sort of taking um, these works that were being appearing for the first time. And if they got raves, they would go on and they would have another life. But uh, we don't need to go on again about how there aren't <laughs> critics to do that work right. uh, anymore or not enough of them. So this is the way in which it can happen. And, and realistically, it has to be that sort of regional cooperation. Um, it's, it's Milwaukee helping Madison and vice versa. It's, it's Wisconsin thinking of itself cohesively as a unit. It's us working together with Chicago. We as a force um, can generate the second and third and fourth productions, um, regardless of what's happening on the coasts, to make something great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we've been going for a while already on this conversation. Um, I may start to, to wrap us up, but I, I kind of want to end with uh, a, a request of our listeners, because I know we have listeners locally and, and really all over the country um, who care very deeply about theater and uh, many of whom we've heard from who care very deeply about new work. And, you know, boy, I would love to hear to hear from folks. Uh, you know, if you're a playwright, what do you most need to support you? What what? developmental processes serve you best? If you're a patron who loves new work, what experiences have you had going to readings or workshops or world premiere productions that have really served you? Um, you know, if you're a producer, what have you learned? You know, I'd really love to hear from, from colleagues and patrons uh, and artists about um, about this topic and, and where you see the field going from here. Because um, we, boy, we could all really learn from and build on each other's work. Um, but I think with that, I think we can say that that is it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jen Upoff-Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, who's, who's, who, as I said last time, and I will say it again, we're about to be taking on another hat and appearing in the production we've talked about of Russian Troll Farm on stages at Forward Theater in April. Um, you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook um, and Twitter at Theater Forward. As always, spelled theater spelled with an E-R. And if you enjoy this podcast, uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And like Jen said, please leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We're so grateful to have you listening, and we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation. 